To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody. Welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry, and with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Hello. Great to be here. And uh, th- uh, just a quick reminder for everybody out there, if you'd like to support the show and support our efforts to uh, spread the Dow worldwide via this podcast, uh, please, it's 15 bucks, and we're selling an episode uh, that we've never released. And for $35, you get that and three uh, meditations by Dr. Uh, Carl Totten. Uh, it's great, and it's you know hours of uh, listening pleasure, and at the same time you get to support what we're doing because it does take time, and money, uh, to uh, work on this. Um, let's see here. Uh, also, uh, t- we're going to talk about Taoism and anxiety uh, today. We've got a couple chapters of the Tao Te Ching that hopefully we can get to. Um, but before that, I found something funny on Reddit. I, I there's a Reddit. Taoism board, which has a lot of good stuff, which I get some ideas for the show on, uh, on there. And one guy wrote, I thought I found the Tao once, then I realized I'm an idiot, and I stopped paying attention to myself. <laughs> so it's like, the guy thought he found the Tao, and then was like, oh, you know, I, uh, I'm deluded, so I forgot about myself. And then I postulate, then he found the Tao because he got rid of his, his sense of self. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he walked around not regarding himself. And that's what we talk about mm-hmm. lots of times in Taoism is the man who mixes with the dust, the man who is faceless within the crowd. That's the man who is at one with the Tao. <laughs> so it was this fun little joke. Uh, and I love, I love the humor present in Taoism. You know? And uh, I, I thought that this should be some kind of uh, Taoist koan. So I was, uh, unfortunately, on the internet the other day, <laughs> and uh, I found this article, which I think is pretty cool, and it was about, it's called, How a Fourth Century Taoist Concept is Treating Anxiety. And basically the author, uh, this is under uh, Big Think is the website, mm-hmm. and basically the author went through how Wu Wei, how uh, these researchers or psychologists are using Wu Wei to help people who have anxiety. And uh, before we get into that, Dr. Totten, this, I had this question, and you'd be obviously the authority to answer. Mm-hmm. Are people more anxious these days than previously, or is it just anxiety is always present in the human mind? It's you know, basically something telling us uh, you know, uh, that we need to survive and there are dangers in the world or, or whatever, um, that we naturally have this anxiety. Or are people more anxious these days just because... I don't know, modern media or modern life, maybe we're out of touch uh, with the true things that matter. As uh, Blur once said, modern life is rubbish. Uh, is it that, or have people always just been anxious? Well, I'm, uh, certainly people have always uh, been anxious and had fears. Um, you know, often, of course, uh, 
related to survival. Mm -hmm. You know, you're living out in the world and there's wild animals and uh, wild people and <laughs> you know, other things that can be uh, dangerous. And so I think that um, a certain amount of fear or anxiety is just endemic to being alive. Like, not having it might be kind of bad, right? Everything in balance. <laughs> having no anxiety might, might lead one to uh, make some foolish decisions. A lot of uh, existential philosophers referred to the 20, 20th century as the age of anxiety, as a matter of fact. I think because of a lot of the artificial uh, sources of anxiety, you know, for status or, you know, for material possessions, things like that. And uh, people feeling that, you know, in relation to other people, they were somehow, you know, not as cool or not as well-dressed or not as well-educated or didn't have as much money or something. And so there were these kind of artificial sources of anxiety that were posited in the 20th century. Now that we're in the 21st century, I'm not quite sure what they'd say yeah. about the current state of affairs. I'm sure there's, <laughs> there's that and possibly more things to be anxious about. <laughs> Um, and, and so, you know, there's this kind of just life anxiety, and then there are what are known as anxiety disorders, mm -hmm. which is anxiety above and beyond that of just the norm of being alive. And that's been described and, and categorized in several different ways. And so as a psychologist, one of the things that I'm trained to do is to assess, uh, diagnose, and treat anxiety disorders. Um, I, m myself, using psychological methods, and if I were a um, physician, a psychiatrist, in addition to those, of course, or, or instead of those, I might essentially be spending most of my day uh, writing prescriptions yeah. of medication for anxiety uh, disorders. Right, so there's a different thing, different thing between... Um kind of having irrational fears and anxieties, and then also just kind of having a, bio, a chemical biological disorder, right? Like one thing is kind of curable, the other thing is like, look, your brain chemistry's off. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that the way to see it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and rational fear is called a phobia, in fact. Okay. And irrational fear. Okay. Um, like uh, one of the things I practice is energy psychology, and it was actually discovered by my teacher, Dr. Roger Callahan, when he was working with a woman who had an irrational fear of water, of all things. Really? Now, she could drink water, but if she saw a pool or water or if it rained or something, she'd have a panic attack. That's wild. <laughs> and uh, he, he uh, you know, took a class in um, um, kind of you know, some Chinese methods of, you know, kind of uh, you know, applied uh, kinesiology, which looks at you know, the acupuncture points and energy flow in the body. And uh, and then he went back to working with this woman. But he, by the way, he'd been working with her for 18 months, a year and a half. She hadn't gotten any better, coming every week. And he tried everything he knew, cognitive, behavioral therapy and hypnosis and uh, every trick in the book back at the time. And uh, so then he takes this class and he finds out about these, about energy and acupuncture points and muscle testing and all those things. And so when the patient comes in the next day, she, he asks, oh, how are you doing this morning? Mary, her name was Mary. And she says, oh, I've got this feeling in the pit of my stomach, you know. And you know how when you get really anxious sometimes you've got that feeling in the pit yeah, of your stomach. Yeah. 
And now he had just learned that weekend that the stomach pathway, the stomach meridian in acupuncture starts right under the eyes. Hmm. Each eye is stomach one. And then there's other stomach points that, you know, that go up the face, up to the head, and wind up going down the leg and wind up on the second toe. Oh, wow. Okay. This long pathway. So anyway, she says she has this feeling in the, her stomach, and so he just learned that the stomach pathway starts under right under each eye. And so he, he he's not sure why he asked her to do this, but he had her tap with her fingers lightly under each eye just to see what would happen. And after about, you know, 10 seconds or so of doing that, she gets a startled look on her face. She says, it's gone. He goes, what's gone? Mm. <laughs> and she says, that feeling in my stomach, That's it's wild. gone. That's wild. <laughs> and, and she starts, she looks out the window. He, he had an a, um, uh, office at his uh, home and he had a pool outside and she looks outside and she gets up and she run, starts running towards the pool. Now Dr. Callahan has a panic attack. He, <laughs> he knows, she knows she's afraid of water and she can't swim. So does he tap and, beneath his <laughs> yeah, He screams at her, Mary, stop! <laughs> you know, just, he wonders, you know, have I triggered her to suicide or something? You yeah. know? And she turns around and says, Dr. Callahan, I know I can't swim. I'm not going to jump in the water. But instead she gets on her hands and knees and she starts splashing herself with water. She says, see, it's really gone. This fear. She had this fear for 30 years, and now it's gone. Oh, in God. 10 seconds, it disappeared. <laughs> and that night, it was a rare thunderstorm here in Southern California. She went out in the rain, got in her car, drove out to Santa Monica to the beach, and stood in the driving rain and thunder and lightning to prove to herself that her 30-year fear truly was gone. It never came back. Wow. So you see why I spent more than 10 years training with Dr. Callahan in this new method of energy psychology, tapping acupuncture points as a way to ameliorate things like anxiety and depression and you know, other psychological disorders. So it's one of the main methodologies I use these days in treating uh, psychological disturbance. Oh. Isn't that amazing? That is, that is incredible. So, yeah, so anxiety is... I mean, it's something that's, I think, endemic in our society. And I said, you know, there's many different types. You know, all of us can recognize, you know, the rapid heartbeat you know, that we get, the excessive trembling and sweating. Some people get nausea and dizzy. Some people get chest pains and headaches, weakness in the limbs, muscle tension. I had one poor guy who came to me. He had had to go to the emergency room like three times in the previous week because he thought he was having uh, a heart attack. He thought he was dying. It was nothing but panic. Oh, geez, just he, over overcame him. Yeah, he was just he was just scared of things, and uh, that's when I uh, took him into treatment. And of course, he never had one of those again. Fortunately. Oh. Well, there's a uh, some uh, research psychologist here who's talking in this story about how uh, he uses Wu Wei, the Taoist uh, idea, to treat people with anxiety. Uh, Nick Hobson, a research psychologist and lecturer at the University of Toronto, recently suggested implementing Wu Wei as an antidote to our rising rates of anxiety and depression. Instead of pinpointing a singular cause for our growing dissatisfaction with our lives, he points out the reasons are myriad. Smartphones, sleep deprivation a lack of meaningful social connection, and not enough movement. He doesn't mention diet, though plenty of research implicates that bad uh, eating habits uh, can cause anxiety as well. While the causes are many, Hobson points to our penchant for overanalyzing every situation as the elephant, as the elephant in the mind. Instead of holism, a cognitive trait, 
He associates with Eastern psychology. We choose the trees over the forests, leading to an obsession with overthinking. He says that Western rule-based reasoning leads us to believe that every problem has a solution. Research and cognition and narrative has shown that when we aren't offered a resolution to a story, we invent one, often to our detriment. Your partner, your partner is cheating on you if they haven't texted, while the reality is everything but. When we're not provided an answer, we tend to overanalyze the situation, heaping anxiety upon anxiety. Which is why Hobson suggests two Lao Tzu-era practices to calm our overactive imaginations. Wu Wei is the first, which he says means we shouldn't hurry to action. While he prescribes to not, to not do anything at all which is slightly different from Watts and Al Huang's translation. Hobson recommends an intuitive style of thinking to chill our overanalyzing minds. Meditation and visualization exercises are two ways of rerouting our mental habits. The second involves a dialectical behavior therapy, an evidence-based therapy created by a Dr. Marsha Linehan. Uh, Linehan. Linehan, I'm sorry. Among its many applications is designed to promote skills for cultivating mindfulness, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and interpersonal effectiveness. To make this connection, Hobson points to Taoism's great export, the yin-yang symbol, which denotes mutual dependence exists in everything. Two things can be mutually opposed at the same time and mutually connected. You can be, for example, in an anxious state and still have perfect control over your situation and your life. Thinking in this way allows a person to tolerate contradictions and to accept the uncertainties that are inevitably present themselves. Is a long life such a good thing if it is lived in daily dread or in constant search for satisfaction in a tomorrow that never comes? We all intuitively know the answer. Putting that intuition into action, ironically, through a bit of non-action, might be an important key to healing our anxious minds. You know, I, I often think that for one thing, it's very difficult to separate inside of oneself whether we're feeling anxious about something or excited about something. Yeah, it's yeah. the same exact... It's a very similar... The body reacts the same way. Exactly. It's what we label it, right? <laughs> and, and, and I think that often we're, we're... It's almost like we're waiting for the other shoot or fall, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what's going to... You know, this anticipatory anxiety... Or what's going to happen if? Or what's going to happen when? And in that not knowing what's going to happen, not having all the answers, you know, ready-made or prefabricated, we become anxious. Yeah. And that's where, you know, kind of going back to Lao Tzu, to Taoism, well, you know, let's just kind of sit with this and just see how it turns out. Everything is a process, and if we just wait, we'll see. And so all this anticipation, that's, which is resulting in anxiety, is unnecessary because if we wait, we'll see. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're, we're, we're worried about absolutely nothing and things are going to actually turn out to be lovely. We, know, we don't know, you know. And, you know, there, there's, there was a book, a popular book out several years ago called Mind is Healer, Mind is Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> and it was about this kind of, psychophysiology of mental health and our mind depending on if again if it's mindful if we know how to do some of that what distress tolerance we were talking about emotional regulation mindfulness 
if we can cultivate those as a state of being, then we become far less anxious than if we're worried about, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? Or if we don't have the capacity to keep our emotions on a, on a balanced keel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And understanding that, yeah, things will sometimes go our way, sometimes go not so much our way, but that's a wave. And it'll go up and we'll feel good. It'll go down. We won't feel so good. Why worry? Because things naturally return to what? Balance. Yeah. To homeostasis. If you just wait. And so knowing one of the things that when I was younger, I used to be very anxious about a lot of things. But at one point I heard something and I believed it and it really helped my life significantly. And the, the, the saying that I heard was, you know, nothing really ever turns out to be as bad as you think it will. Never. And the thing we worry about never usually never happens anyway, exactly. at least in my life, right? Exactly. 90% of the time, it's <laughs> nothing. So I would really calm down after I uh, took that to heart. Yeah. I really did. So I think, so that's something I also try to teach people is that, you know, let's just wait and see. And in the meantime, you know, here's some practices, whether it's tapping on points or learning how to do uh, deep breathing, you know, meditation, yeah. or learning how to do some mindful meditation, you know, where, you know, and, and creative visualization. You know, I often have people just think about where's your most favorite place in nature? Is it an island? Is it a forest? Is it by the by a waterfall or looking at the ocean and have them just immerse themselves in internal imagery and just see and feel themselves there. And when one thing that has been found in psychological research is that if you're very relaxed, you cannot be agitated and anxious at the same time. Right. Yeah. It's impossible. (laughs) Yeah. And so one of the major treatments in psychotherapy these days is to teach people how to become deeply relaxed and then have them go through a list of fears and things that trigger and upset them while they're in a deeply relaxed state, and eventually the triggers become extinguished by the relaxation. And you essentially have just cured a, an, anxiety, an anxiety or panic disorder you know, by so doing, mm-hmm. and that, that works. Oh, also. good. So what, would, what, what, what advice, if someone uh, listening right now uh, has anxiety about something, I don't know, something that's going to occur in the future. Again, they don't know how things are going to turn out. Uh, what <laughs> advice would you give them right now that they can put in their pocket or practice right now, turn off the mm-hmm. show, and uh, <laughs> and do? Well, don't turn off the show, but because yeah, I'm going to tell you what to do. <laughs> Remember, we're, we often talk about uh, perception and perspective. So if something is, or someone or some situation is causing anxiety, one really easy way is to simply change perception and, and by changing the perspective. Mm-hmm. So what a person can do is to hear a couple things. One thing is to see whatever or whoever it is that's causing the anxiety as being like projected on a screen that's maybe uh, 50 or 100 feet away. And so now, here they are in their head, and they're now they're seeing this thing that was causing them anxiety, but it's further away now. It's on a screen, and they can turn up the screen or turn it down and make it clearer and brighter or make it dimmer. They can push the screen further and further away. And so by changing their own internal perception 
of how close this anxiety producing stimulus is, they can change how they react to it. Oh, okay. Another thing is to see the situation as uh, something that's next to them, say, on the floor. And maybe it's a big thing now because it's causing them uh, to be anxious. So I tell the person, okay, I imagine that you are growing. You are becoming the jolly green giant. Yeah. Your, your head is now in the clouds. Your shoulders are going from horizon to horizon. Your feet go down to the center of the earth. Now, here you are, your head in the clouds. Now look down at that thing that was causing you anxiety that was on the floor next to you. What does it look like now? It's very, very small. <laughs> and you're very, very big and mighty. Yeah, yeah. And so now they are feeling their their oats, so to speak, and they're able to put things in perspective because remember before they saw the anxiety producing stimulus is bigger and stronger than them and now just by instantly in seconds changing their perspective it's completely different. Right. And so that's a great lesson to learn that how you feel is dependent on how you see things right? Yeah. and how you see yourself. Yeah. And if you change your perception and perspective, you completely change how you're feeling about things that previously may have terrified you. Mm. But now you feel that you're the master of yourself and you have mastered your anxieties. See, so either one of those and the numerous other things, really just, just changing the imagery, the internal imagery changes how we feel about what is happening around us. Mm, that's great. So let's get to chapter 58 of the Tao Te Ching. Uh-huh. Would you like to read chapter sure. 58 of the Tao Te Ching? Okay, so chapter 58. When the country is ruled with a light hand, the people are simple. When the country is ruled with severity, the people are cunning. Happiness is rooted in misery. Misery lurks beneath happiness. Who knows what the future holds? There is no honesty. Honesty becomes dishonest. Goodness becomes witchcraft. Man's bewitchment lasts for a long time. Therefore, the sage is sharp but not cutting, pointed but not piercing, straightforward but not unrestrained, brilliant but not blinding. Hmm. Isn't that lovely? Yes. <laughs> so when the country is ruled with the light hand, the people are simple. When the country is ruled with severity, the people are cunning. And it, it kind of makes me think about uh, when you hear stories of when people lived in the Soviet Union. And they had all these black markets that were able to get around the government to do things. Like to people used to, I heard it was, it was called music on the ribs is what they would mm. call... Um, uh, music, because what they would do is they would take old x-rays which were discarded from the health service and they would print music on them to be played on the record player. Mm -hmm. And you can get about 10 plays out of it and it eventually would wear out. So people would sell albums that were all these different uh, <laughs> x-rays or weird ways that people found a way to get a pair of Levi's. <laughs> or all the, the people end up become cunning to get around... You know, it's like when you have overbearing parents, the mm -hmm. kids learn to become sneaky. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Yes. Or, you know, or we could just, uh, we could be less oppressive to people and have everything out in the open. <laughs> you know, it's like the drug war, right? <laughs> you, 
you crack down on people being able to put in their bodies what they so desire, mm-hmm. and then you again you create black markets, you create violence. All this comes of it when maybe you should just have it out in the open and have <laughs> things be more safe, and everybody can see what's happening. It's like Lao Tzu says here: the sage is sharp, but not cutting; pointed, but not piercing; <laughs> brilliant, but not blinding. You know, it's almost like there's more wu-wei on display here. Yes. Just kind of allowing things to take their own path results in less blowback, you Mm -hmm. know, less reactivity. You know, but in a polarized world, you know, good and bad are concealed within each other, like an object being followed by its own shadow. The sage is discerning without imposing, illuminating without preaching. Is the way of the Tao. Yes, like leads by example Yes, kind of thing versus yes. talking about than, how great they are. Right, you know. and, and telling you how bad you are because you do this or do that. Mm-hmm. You know. Being judgmental. Being judgmental. And we're very judgmental these days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, so I think this, it's, it's yet another appeal to kind of a Taoist notion of uh, tolerance. And humility. Humility. Tolerance, and um, that that leads to less reactivity, and le- again, what I call blowback. Yeah, blowback. You you push some people, you paint them into a corner, they they're going to become resentful, mm-hmm. and you're going to get pushed back. You become a caged animal, or yes. you know, frightened. Yeah, yes. And you challenge someone, then they kind of get their hackles up, right? <laughs> yeah, and then they want to prove you wrong and prove themselves right. <laughs> Now you got to fight yeah. on your hand. Now you got to fight. Uh, also, it says uh, happiness is rooted in misery, and misery lurks beneath happiness. And yeah, it's kind of how both of these things are intertwined. Like if everything was always perfect for you in your life and happy, it's going to eventually re- reach a borderline of humdrumness, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the person who has everything. Uh, eventually, they become very bored because mm-hmm. everything going right for you all the time. Things that go right stop feeling good, mm-hmm. and they become assumed. It's like, it's a weird analogy, but it's like if you're like a New England Patriots fan. They go to the Super Bowl <laughs> like every other year, and they always win. And so at a certain point when they win, it doesn't feel great, obviously, for the fan, because it's just accepted. <laughs> now, when they lose, you want to blow your brains out, because <laughs> they never lose, right? And I think it's the same thing. So eventually when things it's you know it's almost more fun to root for the 8 and 8 team <laughs> you know what i'm saying and you know in life things to f- tend to flip eventually to their opposite right things aren't all, things don't just stay one way entropy as we were saying earlier <laughs> yeah. yeah you know but the dow says that's natural go with the flow because yes things go up and they're going to come down but then they're going to go back up again it's like it's like that wave front, mm-hmm. right? And but that creates a, an even a keel, an even flow. And as long and as long as you know and understand that that's going to happen, you don't really get upset. Yeah. You you feel an inner peace and calm and serenity, because you've been there before. You'll be there again. And no matter what is happening out there, in here, in your own perceptual field, you're still you, and you're still okay. Yes. No matter what. Yeah. Yes, and, and the, the, the idea that into every life a little rain must fall, and it's that rain that makes the sunshine mm-hmm. glorious, mm-hmm. right? 
Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you live in Southern California and you take the sunshine for granted. So when it <laughs> rains, you completely lose your mind. Yeah, you really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I'm sure if you live in Oregon where it rains all the time, you have a sunny day and you're elated. Exactly. Or where they have like a nice day in New York in June and everybody's out riding their bikes and just soaking <laughs> it up. People are laying outside sunbathing because they're not used to it. You know? Um, let's see. Well, let's do chapter 63 here. Oh, okay. Let's see here. Would you like to read it, Dr. Sure. Carl Totten? And here, uh, yeah, Lao Tzu is uh, really providing us some, I think, important instructions here, <laughs> some important mm-hmm. guidance. So, chapter 63 practice non action, work without doing, taste the tasteless, magnify the small, increase the few, reward bitterness with care, see simplicity in the complicated achieve greatness in little things. In the universe, the difficult things are done as if they are easy. In the universe, great acts are made up of small deeds. The sage does not attempt anything very big and thus achieved greatness. Easy promises make for little trust. Taking things lightly results in great difficulty. Because the sage always confronts difficulties, he never experiences them. Mm. That's powerful. There's a lot. We start with a bit about Wu Wei, practice not action, mm-hmm. work without doing. Mm-hmm. Taste the tasteless. Mm. Is that maybe the kind of thing where you end up savoring and really appreciating things that may be cast off as dull? Exactly. And appreciating the value of exactly. that neutralness. Or yes. that lack of that lack of taste, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a buffalo wild wing knocking you <laughs> upside the head. There can be a, a joy in the texture of a flavorless bowl of rice or mm-hmm. something. And what ultimately is more nurturing and nourishing than a simple glass of water? Right. Yeah. With no taste at all. Yeah. But yet, as you know, like taste the tasteless. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's very nurturing. Right? We, we literally can't live without it. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it's the blandest thing of all. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? My wife gets mad at me because I love like basic Lay's potato chips. Oh. Just, just the salt. Just fat, fat and salt. No barbecue flavor, nothing. I like it. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I think that by staying with and staying focused on the small things, the large things lose their sense of enormity. So if we have this kind of attitude of, you know, one thing, one day at a time, doing the right thing at the right time in the right way, uh, simple, is most auspicious and rewarding. This way we, like Lao Tzu says, we achieve greatness in little things. And we know that, of course, that the journey of a thousand miles begins with what? The first step, right? So one at a time we make progress towards the goal while enjoying each step along the way. Yes. Uh, because I think too often we, we get, we, we're looking so far ahead at the outcome that we avoid smelling the roses in the meantime. You know, we can't taste the tasteless, yeah. so to speak. Or so, sometimes some kind of achievement seems way out of our bounds or able to accomplish, but when we divide it into small things, mm-hmm. we realize it's doable. Yes, very much so. Psychology, cognitive psychology, they call that successive approximations to a goal. (laughs) 
baby steps. Yes. <laughs> Simplifying that. Isn't that the Richard baby Dreyfus steps. book in the movie What About Bob? <laughs> baby Maybe. steps with yeah. Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah, little baby steps. Then even the most enormous task becomes achievable because rather than, oh, gosh, this is going to take three months, no. No, what do I have to do in the next 30 minutes? That's all. Yeah. Just one little baby step. But that's a step in the again in the right direction, right? Mm -hmm. That that journey of a thousand miles, beginning with the first step. That's right. And if we see our whole life like that, and particularly the challenges that um, might uh, face us, it gives us that equanimity, that calmness of mind and spirit, to be able to even to tackle even the most challenging project in a way that doesn't um, intimidate us. Yeah. You know. Because we won't, we don't have to do the whole thing, just one thing, right? One small thing, but it's moving in the right direction, and this satisfaction that a person gets from setting a goal and then taking action towards accomplishing it, oh, there's nothing better than that. Oh yeah, oh unbelievable! <laughs> it's like somebody I went saw. He said, uh, "Be one percent better every day." Yes. And imagine after a hundred days. How much better you, you would be. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. You know? Very true. So, you know, sometime I, I uh, you know, I say that, you know, oh, and that last line, because the sage always confronts difficulties, he never experiences them. That's just brilliant. It's like he doesn't create his own, he doesn't create any karma. No. And, and he's not putting things off. Right. When you put things off, they tend to become bigger and bigger and bigger. They fester. <laughs> they fester yeah. right, and become infected. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> so that, that's really, really good advice uh, from the great sage uh, Lao Tzu. Yeah. And so, you know, one, you know, I've had clients in the last week or so who are, have so much clutter in their mind, in their life, that that has become the obstacle that's causing them to be anxious and unhappy, mm -hmm. anxiety and depression. Uh, it, it's like they've kind of created this monster, and then now they don't know how to, how to slay it, so to speak. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so, some of the, so a little exercise that I gave them and I can give our listeners is, look, take a look around your place and decide two things, you know, particularly if you're feeling cluttered. <laughs> what can be thrown away because it really no longer serves a useful purpose? Mm -hmm. Those things just get rid of. Just toss yeah. them. And then, among the other things that are left, what needs to be cleaned? What are the first steps towards cleaning them? Make note of these things and just start one step at a time. And then when you're done, just notice how you feel. Because mm -hmm. sometimes things just need to be cleaned up, reorganized, right? It's just too much dirt or dust or disorganization around you. Or you don't notice things. Like, there's a stack of papers on my desk I don't need at all, right? Right. But they're just so sitting like, there. So like they... I said, what can be thrown away? Yeah. And then what just needs to be cleaned up or rearranged or stacked or stored away somewhere? And, but when you give yourself this kind of environmental space, you also are giving yourself space inside of your psyche, mm -hmm. inside of your being. Mm -hmm. And so, again, remember, as within, so without. Yeah. Yeah, as you above, clean. You, yeah, mm -hmm. So you clean up what's outside. You're also cleaning what's inside you too, and that leads to great sense of inner peace and calm. Yeah. Because after you've done that cleaning, just sit and notice how you feel. Mm -hmm. This becomes a type of mindful meditation, and mindful meditation 
is golden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the, you know, there's no goals at this point. You're just contemplating what already is, what's already happened. You're just noticing them. And then just kind of basking in the feeling of having cleaned up something, having set a goal, done it, cleaned it up, and now experiencing that sense of freedom and joy, yeah. and joy internally and externally. You're sitting in a clean spot. You're feeling in a clean spot inside your own skin, in your own psyche. And it's kind of like all's right with the world. Mm-hmm. And if you can cultivate that attitude every day, your life really works well. Yeah. And remember, because the sage always confronts difficulties, he never experiences them. That's great. And if you can live a life like that, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. And remember, nothing ever turns out to be as bad as we think it will. You know, the other point. So it's like Lao Tzu was this great... Uh, cognitive psychologist in a way. He was, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, he was telling people just how how to think about themselves, how to think about the world, how to think about others, how to just take things as they come. And if we learn how to just take things as they come, without putting up barriers, without making judgments and, and assumptions that are unwarranted, uh, our life will just flow. And if we can just go with that flow, we'll be really content and our lives will work so much better.